From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. First year of law school, joining a new firm, appearing in court for the first time are all guaranteed stressors. High anxiety is baked into learning and practicing law. Scott Rogers has been at the national forefront of mindfulness training for the legal profession for decades. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Scott. No, take out the cell. Good morning, Scott. Um, Thanks for coming to The Explainer. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be together. Uh, I feel better already. Um, So talk about how training can help uh, lawyers be more productive and less stressful. Well, from a practical perspective, mindfulness practices uh, are in the service of developing and refining uh, focus and concentration, cultivating greater resilience in the midst of emotional turmoil and the ability to self-regulate at such times as needed, and the capacity to, we could say, enrich or optimize working memory uh, capacity, which can be useful uh, each in its own way in the various domains that Annette referred to at the outset. And when we become stressed and experience undue levels of overwhelm, those very capacities of focus, of concentration, of the ability to regulate emotions and bear uh, uncomfortable moments with that resilience that can be so important in the practice of law, and the ability to keep in mind facts and case names and information uh, is compromised. And so mindfulness practices can at a very fundamental level, at the level of zeroing in on the attentional capacity and the ways it can be very flaky at times and can be unreliable and fickle, can help us to enhance those very important capacities of what it is to be an effective and successful and happy uh, lawyer. It isn't all symbols and chakra bowls. You worked with Amishi Jha over the last decade uh, on a bar- broad spectrum of, of research on how mindfulness helps in a lot of fields, in- including soldiers. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, sure. It's very important and meaningful work in, in many, many ways. And it's a very important and wonderful collaboration that uh, Mishi and I have. And she's a very um, successful attention researcher and has brought in a lot of grants to do this important work. And in the military, uh, that's nice because it is a pointer to a high-stress, high-stakes, high-consequence profession. The research that we've done together has also included uh, soldiers in that realm, special operation forces, uh, uh, firefighters, accountants, and and oftentimes looking at those moments, athletes, high uh, elite athletes, where they're leading up to big moments in time, whether it's tax season, whether it's deployment, and how it is that the, this, the, the, the pretty reliable degrading of attention 
and with the degrading of attention and working memory, compromises to performance and well-being, which can take place, can be attenuated, as you noted, through mindfulness practices. And so, yes, in these various domains, we have been sharing a program called MBAT, Mindfulness-Based Attention Training, which is a shortened form of more traditional ways of teaching and practicing mindfulness that can be longer in time and not as feasible in various professional settings where just that much extra time is not available or or even could be allocated. And uh, from Amishi's focal point, and still demonstrate an efficacy in the realm of uh, meaningful changes to the structure and function of the brain and areas like focus and concentration, et cetera. And so that's been an, an important body of research. And there's much more research beyond that, looking at how it is that the practicing of mindfulness can lead to changes to a thickening, for example, of regions of the brain associated with focus and concentration, an attenuation of activity uh, in regions of a brain associated with a sort of overreactivity in emotional settings. Uh, and even to improved uh, immune functioning, diminished inflammation, and a variety of other physical benefits. And then in the emotional realm, we could say the ability to attenuate or reduce uh, experiences of depression and anxiety, whether at a clinical level, where some of the research is, is sort of pointing, or in the research that we do more at a, um, in the more of the gradient of everyday life level, those things can be richly um, useful for organizations and settings to say this could be important to bring into our institution to offer uh, a measure of of, of um, relaxation and clarity to the work that we're doing and the lives that we're living and, and in the important ways that we're helping or trying to help society. And in that mindfulness menu... What's in there? Uh, are we talking about yoga practices? Are we talking about uh, meditation? Just kind of what yeah. what's in on that list? Okay, terrific. So there are you mentioned yoga, you mentioned meditation. When people ask about uh, mindfulness, they are really pointing towards mindfulness practices. So mindfulness is this umbrella term that can mean being aware and being present and being in the now, and and, and that can mean a lot of different things. But we all have a general sense that perhaps, or many of us have a general sense, that mindfulness means really being here for life and showing up and somehow being effective and kind and serious and firm and capable in whatever it is that comes along, to be responsive to life. That's a big ticket item, and you don't need to practice mindfulness to get there. There are many ways of sort of moving in that direction. Um, Mindfulness practices, to sort of respond to your specific question as it relates to yoga or um, other Meditative practices are a are a one type of what we could say meditative practice, of which there are many others. So just as you could say I'm interested in sports and there's volleyball and tennis and track, etc., you could say I'm interested in meditation and there's yogic practices and there's progressive muscle relaxation and visualization and mindfulness. And whereas many meditative practices are wonderfully in the service of achieving a different state of how one's feeling in that moment. Mindfulness practices, while they may lead to a shift in how one is feeling and reliably tend to, that's not their primary objective. Their primary objective is to be more at ease and attentive to what's arising in the present moment. So the various 
exercises and practices that are part of the mindfulness-based attention training and are part of the larger body of mindfulness practices that are part of the growing body of research would include focusing, for example, focusing attention on the breath as an object of attention to help develop the ability to stay attentive as one would intend to an object, whether it's ultimately a person that they're speaking to, something that they're reading, or some um, a procedure that they are engaged in. And then when they notice their mind wandering, which of course would be a very common thing to happen, so that's not a problem, mm-hmm. and it's not about not having your mind wander, that's an oftentimes a misconception, it's when they notice the mind wandering to be able to redirect attention where they choose, and since they were initially intending to be on the object, like the breath, to come back to the breath. And the key skill there is not not having a mind that wanders, but rather noticing the mind that does and being able to redirect. And those are two very challenging uh, things that we tend not to do. We tend to go through the day with our mind just picking up and going somewhere else. We're not even aware we've wandered. Oftentimes, off we go. And um, not only do we not realize it, but even if we do realize it, sometimes we can have a very difficult time bringing our attention back. And so in the practice of law, in being a law student, this is a very important basic skill. And then from that foundation of greater attentional capacity uh, to then develop to be able to be more aware of what's going on around you, situational awareness would be a term that's oftentimes used in the military context. Mm -hmm. It's equally applicable in the courtroom without being pulled away uh, from this more open field of awareness. Okay. How'd you first get involved in this? Well, that's a nice question. It brings back nice memories. When I was in uh, at law school at the University of Florida, I had the wonderful opportunity to learn a meditative practice uh, called TM, which is becoming increasingly popular today as well, uh, via wonderful teacher. Transcendental meditation? Meditation, yes. Okay. Transcendental meditation by a wonderful teacher named Marty Peters, who was on the faculty and whose husband, Don Peters, I had the great privilege of learning civil procedure from. They're both mind, uh, TM practitioners. She's a very uh, important teacher in that area and learned this interesting technique, uh, which is much more involved than what I'm about to say now, but essentially turning attention towards an object, steadying attention on that object, and that object being something that we could think of as sort of residing within. And, and it would be similar to the breath. It's a, in this case, a, a term, a phrase, a, a term. And, um, and then paying attention in a particular way and found that to be a very meaningful investigation and very interesting effects of being more inclined inward and less pulled around by every little thing that comes along out there as a tool in many ways. And then because back then, and this was about 30 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot to read about meditation or different types of practices, began to do as much reading and learning as much as I could through retreats, et cetera, and found mindfulness, as I previously discussed some of its qualities, uh, to be uh, also a very satisfying and meaningful realm and also very practical and and, 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 and really of self um, sustenance, which I find to be um, useful. Now, is the is the University of Miami Law School one of the first places to have uh, mindfulness training as part of the curriculum? The University of Miami School of Law is the first school in the country to have a mindfulness in law program, where we have 
various classes, mindful ethics, mindful leadership, mindfulness in law, mindfulness in motivating business compliance with the law, as well as a series of workshops and opportunities for students to learn and practice mindfulness in a less um, uh, formal over the course of a semester away. And now many law schools, I'd say 50 plus law schools around the country are offering mindfulness during orientation or through people that they bring in or through teachers and members of the faculty who have experience in that in that area to enrich the lives of the students who are interested in, in that exploration. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but if you could tell me one thing to do for one minute today that would increase my ability to focus, what would it be? Well, you're asking it as a as I'm hearing it, you're asking it as a prospective. If I want to increase my focus, like in the moments that follow, what would I do in the service of that? So one thing would be a focusing of attention practice. It's not surprising today, at least, that if one practice is focusing their attention, that they would then have some residual benefit that would flow in the service of being a little bit more focused or skillful with their attention. So a one-minute practice, which really could be expanded to be a much longer practice, and which really gets to the heart of many mindfulness practices that are often taught today, would be called the stop practice, where one, and we can do it together, we stop, or as we are sit, or we could be standing, but we're pausing. So if you're walking, you could just pause or come to a stop, to T, Take a breath, but we're always taking a breath, you know, so we're taking this breath with awareness. That's the move this in the mindfulness direction, aware of the breath we're taking, so we can do that. And we're paying attention to that breath, that we're focusing on that breath. So already we're bringing a more deliberate focusing into this experience. We observe, so now we in, take that pause that we've established, the slower breath that we might have taken a moment ago is helpful for relaxing, but now we're observing. So in the course of that minute, to observe either what you're experiencing internally, thoughts, busy mind, calm mind, agitation in the body, calmness in the body, whatever it may be, there's no right or wrong, we're observing. Or to look around and just observe what's taking place around you, but without an agenda. It's an observational state that we're taking, and then to pee, to proceed. So to stop. Take a breath, aware of the breath, observe for a few moments, and then to proceed. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Center for Ethics and Public Service, an experiential education, skills training, and community engagement program devoted to ethical judgment and public service in law and society. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash CEPS.